Good to see you. And I'd like you to open up your Bibles with me, please, to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. This is page 1041 in your pew Bible. Second from the last sheet of paper in your pew Bible. I'm sorry, actually, it is the last sheet of paper. Revelation 21. This is the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let me start with a question. When was the last time that you spent 15 minutes just thinking about heaven? You know, this is how the Bible ends. It leaves off with us thinking about heaven. It gives us things to think about concerning heaven. The final two chapters in the Bible. Think about all the things that the final two chapters might cover. Revelation 21 and 22 leave off, leave us off thinking about heaven. And the thoughts that it gives us are just so great. In essence, when Jesus returns to earth, he's bringing heaven with him. And the effect will be everlasting. It'll be so transforming. It'll be so amazingly wonderful. 
It will be so deeply satisfying. The change that will come will be so dramatic that the old heavens and the old earth will be as transformed as the resurrection of the dead. It will be the resurrection of the entire created order from futility and from death and from the curse. And the result? The result will be a new heavens and a new earth. It says new, renewed, new. It'll never be old. A new heavens and a new earth with a new Jerusalem. And we're told that that new heavens and that new earth with that new Jerusalem, things will be different. That there will be no sun or moon because the glory of God will be the light that's everywhere. And the, the centerpiece, maybe I should say monument, the centerpiece of the new Jerusalem will not be a temple because God himself and the Lamb will be the temple, we're told in chapter 21, verse 22. The, the central monument will be alive. It'll be magnificent. It will be a beautiful, living thing. It will be a tree, and it's called the tree of life. And from the throne of God and of the Lamb will flow the river of the water of life, the text says, that feeds this mighty tree better than, than a thousand, ten thousand forests. It'll be more spectacular in color. It'll be more brilliant in foliage and in fruit than the most spectacular forest of trees. It'll be awesomely massive. It will span both sides of the river of life. The tree of life. God's provision of life denied to Adam and Eve as part of the curse on sin will be freely open to all. There'll be no more curse. Chapter 22, verse 3. Memorize it. No more curse. And the Lord will be with you. And along with everyone else, you'll worship him. But understand that he will also be walking up to you and you will be speaking together and you can expect to feel the embrace of Jesus Christ the Bible says he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and that's just the beginning of his tenderness toward you you know scholars tell us that in the Gospels, that Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. Or you find more references to hell in the Gospels than anywhere else in the Bible. And I, I, I assume that's true. But what isn't stressed is that Jesus referred to heaven twice as many times as he referred to hell. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus refers 31 times to what's called the kingdom of heaven. And more often than not, in fact, almost always, when he refers and names God as his father, he always includes heaven. The father who is in heaven. The heavenly father. The Lord's prayer begins, our father who is in heaven. And then it includes 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is. As it is. Present tense. Ongoing. As it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not something that will exist. It will be coming to earth. But it exists before then. It exists right now. It exists in heaven. It is the kingdom that is in heaven. It is the kingdom that is heaven. It is the kingdom of God. Now I want to point you in a couple of directions in the scripture with me. Um, You remember how when Jesus was crucified, he was tormented by the thieves on the cross. But one, one thief evidently thought better of that because he, he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you remember also what Jesus' response was when he said that to Jesus. He said, truly, I say to you. In other words, this is the truth. You may not believe it. It might be astounding to you. But truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus turned that man's, that dying man's thoughts to his own, Jesus' own thoughts, what he was thinking about, I'm sure. But when he spoke of heaven, he used the word paradise, which is literally a garden. It recalls Eden before the fall. The tree of life was there. It recalls Eden without the serpent, without the sin. Jesus turned the thief's thinking upside down in two respects. The thief was thinking that the kingdom of God was something in the distant future that Jesus would bring with him when he returned, which is true, but Jesus assured him that for those who die in him, the kingdom of God is not something future for them. As long as you live on earth, Jesus' return with the kingdom of God will be future. But for those who die in Christ, the kingdom of God is their immediate present in all its glory. Paradise. And why? Because God and the Lamb are fully present there. Heaven is not complete. It's not incomplete. When people think in terms of, boy, you, you think heaven's great, just wait till Jesus returns, we have a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> heaven is not incomplete at all. Here's the second feature or aspect, I think, that the way Jesus turned the perspective of this dying thief upside down. The transition from life on earth to eternal life in heaven is immediate. Today you will be with me in paradise. Immediate. To this description of heaven as paradise, as a garden, the author of Hebrews describes heaven as a better country, as a homeland, 
as the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And when he describes heaven, he describes it this way. Listen to the verb. You have come. Not you will come. You have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You have come. And I just want you to remember that heaven is much closer to you than you think. And you are much closer to heaven than you think. This very second, we are surrounded by a cloud of heavenly witnesses. And what was it that Paul said? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, I refer to Jesus' words to the dying thief on the cross, and I refer to the words of Hebrews about heaven as a city of God to show that Revelation 21 and 22 brings these earlier revelations and some others as well from earlier in Scripture together in a way that magnifies and that underscores them as the truth, as reality now. Jesus tells John in Revelation 21.5, he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And then this assurance is repeated in Revelation 22 verse 6. These words are trustworthy and true. This is reality. Time won't permit me to take you to Isaiah 25 and the feast prepared for us in heaven and the wonder the people express at death being gone. Time won't let me take you to John 14 and how Jesus has gone and is now preparing the place for you in heaven which he calls his father's house. I'm not going to take time this morning to go and speak of those instances when heaven's glory was revealed as it was at Jesus' birth, at Jesus' baptism, at the transfiguration, at Stephen's stoning. In October of last year, Eugene Peterson died. And Dr. Peterson was the author of the message, which is this marvelous paraphrase of the Bible. And if you've read the message, you know that he could capture so so much meaning and so few words and say things so simply. His last words in the last moments of his life to a son were, let's go. Let's go. He was ready for heaven. When was the last time you spent 15 minutes thinking about heaven? You know, the Lord reveals heaven as he does in his word to do much more than assure us that it is a real place. He does it 
in such a way is to produce a longing in us for heaven so that we realize and we live that heaven is where I would rather be. Heaven is where I'd rather be. Heaven is, in the words of Johnny Erickson Tata, heaven is my real home. You know, we think about where we want to be. We do spend time thinking about where, we, where we'd rather be. I think we do it all the time. When we're away from home, we can't help but think about home. Isn't that true? Ask any soldier who's been deployed or ask any student who's gone, say, overseas to college, maybe to some exotic place. Very exciting, but only for a while. Then we start thinking about home. It's where we... It's where we'd rather be. Home is our polar star. Home is our point of reference for everything we experience. Your answer to this question, what is your true home? What is your real home? Defines so much about you. It will define you so much. When I travel overseas, ministry of course I'm interested in the places I see and I'm I'm really more interested in the people I meet but you know I when I'm overseas I return every day in my thoughts and my prayers to home and now thanks to whatsapp I can see and talk with my Diane every day and why do I think about home why do I consider it because it makes the stresses and even the threats bearable. Because I know my home is just fine. And I know I'll be returning there soon. We do spend time thinking about where we'd rather be. And this is why it's so important for us to know about heaven and to think enough about heaven. So it really is where you would rather be. So that is your polar star. So it will guide you and sustain you. It'll keep you on track. It'll remind you of your identity and who you are. And it'll put everything here in perspective for you. It becomes much more bearable until you see Christ face to face. And for those things that you enjoy that are beautiful and that are wonderful and wholesome and tasty and good, to realize that all those things are just a foretaste of heaven. Imagine the creation without the curse. This is what sustained Paul. Paul was sustained by his anticipation of heaven. He lost every earthly thing He suffered so much in so many ways, physically, relationally, and betrayals and imprisonments, just in so many ways, as you well know. And it was in the book of Philippians, as he was anticipating his execution, though hoping that wouldn't happen, that he reminded his church at Philippi that our citizenship is in heaven. And he wrote this, This is what characterized his life. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, 
forgetting it, letting it go. I can't hold on to it anyway. And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward prize, or of the upward for the prize. Let me start that again, because the phrases are very important. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he adds, let those who are mature think this way. You know, let those who are mature live this way. This is sustaining. This will sustain you. You strain forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, how do you strain forward? Well, by living and loving and serving and worshiping Christ. And how would Christ have us live for him and love him and serve him? Well, I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? By loving our neighbors. And what greater thing, honestly, what greater way can we love our neighbors than by helping them see how wonderful heaven is and what a wonderful Savior Christ is? It is an amazing thing that Jesus said, I am the way to heaven. I am the way. Jesus would say, I am a means to an end. How can Jesus be a means to an end? Is he not an end in himself? But Jesus did not shy from saying, I am the way. I am the means. Heaven is so great. And that's what he's going to give you. That's what he has for you. Whatever... Whatever perseverance in the Christian faith means for you in your life, whatever suffering you're going to face, whatever trials you're going to go through, whatever is required of you, remember this, that heaven is worth it. And it, whatever it is, cannot take heaven from you. And your affliction will end. And when it ends, that will not be the end of you. Heaven awaits you. And when Satan throws doubts and temptations and despair at you, remember, this world and worldly people, with all their allure, with all their promises to satisfy your desires and make you great will leave you dead cold. C.S. Lewis put it so well. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. You were not just created for heaven. You were predestined from all eternity for heaven.
Heaven is what you truly long for. Heaven is what you most need. And it's what your loved ones and friends and people you know most need. And it really is what in their souls as image bearers, it's what they truly long for, though they may not recognize it. Second Corinthians chapter 12. In that chapter, the apostle Paul told about how he was caught up to heaven. He called it the third heaven, above the sky, above, you know, not sky, not outer space, heaven. How he was caught up to the third heaven. But, and just like Jesus, when he referred to it, he used that very dear and, and rich term, paradise. He was caught up to paradise. And he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I really don't know, God knows, but I was caught up to paradise. And he said that when he was there, he heard things. What he heard was of such surpassing greatness that he could not talk about it. In fact, what he saw and heard, and I think what he heard was what's in store for the saints. I think that what he saw and what he heard was so incredible that it, uh, it, it, it pressed the limits of his sanctity to the very edge. How could he not puff himself up? How could his flesh you know, not kick in when the temptation to exalt yourself was so great when you see what God has for you? And that's when he said, to keep me from exalting myself, you know, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh to humble me. So he could not talk about it. And he did not talk about it. And so, you know what? It remains true for us. This word. This word I leave with you. That eye has not seen, nor has ear heard nor has even entered into the mind of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And I also want to pray for those here who may not be Christians or who aren't Christians. First of all, I want to thank you for them. I thank you for bringing them here. I thank you that you would, and ask you just to teach uh, anyone who has not given their heart to Christ, to disabuse them of the idea that heaven is a fairy tale. Uh, Christ is not Prince Charming. We are not Cinderella. Christ is a Savior who bled and died for for our sins on the cross who bore our guilt in his body. That God's justice would be satisfied and that God in turn thereby would be completely just to extend us mercy and forgiveness and life. There are so many ways that Jesus is presented to us and his work is presented to us in the scripture. But uh, the most frequent way for sure is that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He's dealt with our sin problem before a holy God.
And I pray you'd help all of us here recognize that that sin problem is ours because we're part of a very deeply fallen humanity. It's part of what we are. And we truly need a Savior. And that you provided us with that Savior. Lord, I pray for I pray for everyone here who loves you and knows you. And that everyone would. But then as we go through our life and as we face hard things, that you would grant us just a sustaining wonder at the reality of heaven. That this is our real home. It's where we belong. It is our real home. And to let that define who we are, how we think, how we respond and understand, how we put into perspective the things we, we just have to face in this life. And we'll be careful to give you thanks for all that you do. Ultimately, Lord Jesus, when we think of how much you loved us and suffered for us on the cross, when we think that even now you are in heaven, you say, preparing a place for us, you are so worthy of our loyalty, of our faith, and of our worship. We thank you. For your glory we pray. Amen.